seated. What a powerful declaration. I am God who you say I am. If you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. I am so excited about where we are going this year in the Word over the next uh, three weeks. You're going to hear a word from the year today, mine, uh, next week, Pastor Jordan's, following week, Pastor Mike's, and then um, we are going to do a, I believe, about an eight-week series walking through the armor of God and just the importance of putting on that armor. We're going to spend, um, I guess, the next couple months walking through questions that Jesus himself asked and having those questions put before us. And then we're going to end the year going into next year by walking through uh, the book of Exodus and seeing this amazing picture of God setting his people free, but also the difficult journey that they had to take. So for those that are new to FBCO, at the beginning of every year, we ask every member of our church and anyone who also wants to just be a part to seek the Lord, ask God to give you one word that's anchored in the word that will be your word for the year, a word that you will pray and, and seek God in throughout the year. It will be your continual prayer for this new year. This is our 11th year as a faith family taking this journey together. And there have been some amazing words that God has used to do some amazing things. And uh, I can share stories with you later on if you want to ask different things, even in my life, that I picked a word, never thought that it was going in one direction, and I was thinking a different direction, and God led it in a different way. But I want to encourage every member of our faith family to seek God for a word this year. And then when God gives you that word, along with a verse, to come up here, grab a card, put that card on the board as accountability to you, as encouragement for other people. On Wednesday nights, beginning this Wednesday, we're going to have time for you to share your word uh, for the year as well. Another opportunity for us to um, just have that accountability, but also be encouragers to, to others. And then as Pastor Jordan said, not just do a card up here. Have a card that you can keep with you, whether in a, in a mirror, whether I use mine as my bookmark for my Bible. that I see that word every single day, and it's just a, a constant reminder. So every year as I seek God for a word for the year, this part of it is kind of weird because here I am sharing something that's personal, a word that God has given to me, and I kind of have to do it in a way that it's, um, resonates or, or pray in a way that you guys can see see it and desire it, but it's a, a prayer that I pray over my life, over my family's life, over the life of this faith family, and the point is this. It's not just for me, and if you think about it, every word that God gives us is not just for us, meaning God's word never intends to stop with us. God's word is supposed to spread through us, in fact, an example I use all the time, the two major bodies of water in Israel. There is the Sea of Galilee, um, and there is the Dead Sea. So the Sea of Galilee is beautiful. It is full of life. It flows from Mount Hermon. It goes into the River Jordan. And then there is the Dead Sea, where the water comes from the Jordan and just stays there. And the salt, of course, concentration is so high, nothing can live in it. The Dead Sea is salty, and it has no outlet. So the reason that the Sea of Galilee is so sweet and full of life is because it has both inflow and outflow. It receives, and it also gives. The Dead Sea, however, only receives. It never gives. Therefore, it has no life in it. 
the difference between these two bodies of water make, a, make for a very good spiritual life lesson. Especially for the church today in America, we are not meant to be consumers. We are meant to be conduits by which the word of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the love of God comes into us and flows out of us. So as you pray and seek God for a word for this year, I pray that that word would not stop with you, but that word would spread through through you, spread through your life this year. And that leads to my word for 2024. You know, over the last five years, God has given me the following words. In 2019, my word was dependent, just being completely dependent upon the Lord. In 2020, that crazy year, 2020, my word for the year was vision. And of course, as I've said many times before, I, I didn't see any of that coming. None of it. Um, in 2021, it was worthy to walk worthy of the calling which God has given to me. In 2022, God gave me a phrase, a phrase that's found three times in the New Testament, now to him. Scripture says, now to him who strengthens us, now to him who's able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, or now to him who keeps us from stumbling. And then last year, the word for the year was a made-up word. I'm just kind of doing whatever I want to now. Um, made-up word, impossible, centered around this picture that our God is the God of the, of the impossible. This is who he is. So as I sought the Lord this year for his word, I was fairly convinced in about mid-December that I had my word for the year, and my word for the year was going to be steps, meaning that I wanted to take daily intentional steps in my relationship with the Lord, so intentional that when I do a daily, weekly, a monthly inventory of my life, I would say, I am closer to the Lord now than I was then. I'm closer to the Lord this week than I was last week. That was the desire of my heart. That still is the desire of my heart. I want to be closer to the Lord at the end of this year than I was at the beginning. That is my heart's desire. Yet on Tuesday, after spending time walking through this word and working on this message, the Lord spoke very clearly to me and he changed my word for the year. And I was very mad at him. I was not happy at all with God. I mean, I'd given you a Bible reading plan. Everything about it has to do with steps. So if you're looking for a word for the year, steps could be your word. I even have the verse for you, the Bible verse. It's all set up. It could be yours. But the point that the Lord spoke very clearly to me was that steps was an overflow for a hunger or for what I desire, meaning that our appetites dictate the direction of our lives whether it be the craving of our stomachs, whether it be the desire for passion or possessions or, or power or prestige, or whether it be the deep longing that we all have for God. So therefore, my word for this year is hunger. I want to hunger and thirst for God like never before. Now, we know that hunger and thirst is our body's way of telling us that we are empty. And our natural response to this physical hunger or thirst is food or or water to satisfy that need. Yet, again, we all have this inner longing given to us by God where we long for him. And we can only be filled by him. So hunger in one sense is a God-given sensation to keep us from physically starving. In another sense, hunger in the spiritual sense is a God-given desire to keep us from starving spiritually. Let me ask a question. I, won't, I don't want you to answer it, but just think about this. What is the greatest threat to your soul? 
What is the greatest threat to your soul? And here's my answer. Anything that keeps you from God. Anything that keeps you from God is the greatest threat to your soul. If it keeps you from him, it is a threat. And it is a massive threat. There is a God-given appetite in us, and it must be awakened. I think about the words of Pastor John Piper, who said this. He says, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. And let me just say this, not only do I see this in my life at times, I see this every Sunday morning. I see this every Sunday morning. People, yeah, you're, they come, glad they're here, but you can just look at them and tell they've spent their whole week and their whole weekend filling up on everything else, and they have no hunger for the things of God. And you might be saying to yourself, well, don't just, don't just get that opinion by based on what you see. Well, the prophet Isaiah did. In Isaiah 3.9, he looked at the people and said, your face testifies against you that you're a bunch of sinners. That's what he said, just going based on the word of God. But here's the point. Piper goes on to say this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. It can be awakened, yet it can also be stifled as we continually grab for the things the world tells us we have to have, the things the world tells us will fulfill us and will satisfy us. The junk food of this world will tempt us with Promises of satisfaction, promises of, of rest or escape or fulfillment, but those things cannot sustain our soul. Ultimately, there is one and only one who does that. So let's dive into the word this morning. I'm going to ask you if you're able, if you stand with me as we honor God's word, we're going to read Psalm 107, verse 9. And it says this, For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we are hungry for you, whether we know it or not. But today, I pray, God, that everyone in this room, everyone listening online would come to understand, God, that, that desire deep within them is a desire for you. And that desire for you can only be filled by you. Cannot be filled by anything else. So show us today, God, the hunger that exists in us for you. Give us a hunger, God, for you, that we would hunger and thirst, God, for you. We would long for you, desire you, God, like never before. And I pray that over this faith family, that we would be a faith family who hungers, God, for you. Have your way. Speak, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So a story has been told of a woman who lived in a cold weather climate, and she suffered from poor health that was kind of part of, in this part of the world in which she lived, she suffered from poor health because she did not receive the nutrition that she needed. So doctors suggested that she travel to the tropics where the setting might be more conducive for recovery. So a few weeks after her departure, she wrote to a friend and said these words, this is a wonderful spot where I have access to all the good and nutritious food I could ever need. If only I had an appetite, I'd be well in no time. It is said that in a few weeks, she was gone. In the end, it wasn't a lack of food that took her life. It was a lack of appetite. 
It was a lack of hunger. Let me give you something to write down this morning. It is not a lack of food that truly threatens you. It's a lack of hunger. It's a lack of hunger that truly threatens us. Here's what we know. Loss of appetite is a sign of illness. Hunger is usually a sign of good health. So when you have been sick, you don't have an appetite, the first thing you do when you begin to get well is bring me all the food, like all of it. Bring it to me. Hunger is usually a sign that our health is good. The same is true with spiritual hunger. When we have a spiritual hunger for the things of God, it's a sign that we are well with God, that we are spiritually healthy. So spiritual hunger is one of the most important keys to us knowing God. When we no longer take the appropriate action to seek the Lord, a warning light should come on, like on our dashboard, a warning light should come on saying we are in spiritual trouble. When we aren't seeking the Lord, desiring the Lord, opening the word, praying to God, we are in spiritual trouble. Think of it this way, from an example that we could all relate to. How many of you have ever stood before an open refrigerator longing for something just to fill that void in your stomach? Chances are, as you've done that, you probably do what I do oftentimes and not grab the celery or not grab the fruit but whatever is the worst for you, i, I got to have that. Now, that, that is for me. Only to about 35, 40 minutes later, you're back there, refrigerator open, going, what can I find this time? Again, probably not the healthiest option. But here's the deal. When we are hungry, when we're physically hungry, we oftentimes go to the refrigerator or we go to the drive through with anticipation of finding food, yet we really don't find satisfaction, right? Especially not the life-altering, peace-giving, joy-filling satisfaction. I mean, Chick-fil-A can only do so much. Can't do all of that. And most of us, we, we don't know what hunger really is. I'm going to say something, and I, I want you to just follow with me here, because I don't know every story in this room. But I do know this. Most of us, we know what it means to be hungry. But what we don't really know is hunger. Like, we know hungry, we know our stomachs begin to growl and our stomachs are saying, put food in my belly. And we, we know that part of it, but hunger we don't always get. Especially when we think of hunger as defined as a chronic, persistent, life and health threatening need. Of those who face famine, food insecurity, malnourishment, and deprivation. We complain sometimes that our cupboards are, are bare, yet in reality what we have in our supply is the world itself, the world around us could only dream of. So from a, fear, a physical perspective, listen, from a physical perspective, hunger is foreign to us, and I praise God for that. I praise God for that, that not many of us are struggling with hunger today. You can just look at us. We're not struggling with hunger today. But the problem is many of us aren't struggling with a hunger for God either. And instead of saying praise God to that, we say, oh God, help us. Help us, Lord, in our hunger for you. Let me ask this question. More of a statement. You might be satisfied today with the amount of God that you have. But would you say that God is satisfied with the amount of you that he has? Would God be satisfied with the amount of you that he has? So I want to, this morning, place before us two truths. You heard that right, just two. Related to... God-given hunger that dwells inside of us. The first, and these are quite simple, we know these, but number one, worldly hunger leaves us empty. Worldly hunger. 
following the hungers of this world will leave us empty. In fact, Jeremiah 2, you'll see it on the screen, verses 12 and 13. It says this, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people, God says, have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So these words came through the prophet Jeremiah. Through Jeremiah, God expressed his profound dismay, his profound grief over how in spite of all God had done for his people to create them, redeem them, establish them, protect them, provide for them, as well as warn them over and over again and call them back to himself, his people had forsaken him. They had walked out of his house and they had basically said, God, what you give us isn't satisfying enough. We want what the world says they, they have for us. We want that. So they went out filling up on every worldly pursuit that could never satisfy. So what an indictment. Just hear what God is saying to his people. They have walked away from the fountain of living waters and they have carved out cisterns for themselves that can't hold water. So they have left total satisfaction in order to seek after satisfaction that will only leave them empty. Brothers and sisters, all of our attempts to find satisfaction and fulfillment apart from God, whether it be through simple desires for power, for praise, for possessions, for pleasure, for people, all of those things will always leave us empty. They'll always leave us empty. And let me just put this before you today. We stand under an invitation by God to come to his table for satisfaction. And most of us make excuses for why we don't come. We make excuses. Jesus once confronted a group of men who hungered for power, who hungered for prestige. These men even recreated the law to make themselves look a whole lot greater. And to them, Jesus stood before them and told them a story. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Luke 14. We'll also put these verses on the screen, but Luke 14. Jesus tells this story, beginning at verse 16. So Luke 14, I want you to hear this. And I'm going to kind of give a different perspective maybe than what we normally think. So beginning at verse 16, when you get there, let me hear you say. So it says this, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a field and must go out and see it. Think about this. Yeah, I bought a house. I haven't seen it. I haven't looked at it, but yeah, I bought it. He says, please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. That's like saying I bought a car. I never test drove it, but I, I bought a car. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I'm not touching that one. Not even touching that one. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. 
Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Who are these people? They're hungry. They're hungry for something more. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The Old Testament had been one long invitation to welcome the Son of God when he came. Yet when he finally came, instead of welcoming him, instead of bowing the knee to him, they killed him. They killed him. They treasured this invitation for hundreds upon hundreds of years. And when it finally came, they made excuses. The kinds of excuses that we are tempted to make today. And I I know that our minds immediately, when we read this parable, we equate this banquet as heaven. So this banquet, we just come, we have an invitation, we go to heaven. And, And heaven is part of it. Let me say that heaven is part of it. But there's more. This invitation is first and foremost an offer for us to come to God and find continual satisfaction in him by which we know him now. Jesus said this is eternal life that they know you now, not later. Now we know him. Now we find peace and help and hope and love and grace and mercy for the day now. That's what Jesus is inviting us to come to him now. And yet we make excuses for why we don't come. Think about these excuses. There are three of them, but really the first two overlap. So the first two, I have bought a field. I have bought five yoke of oxen. Basically, I have business going on. And here's the excuse. I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to give myself to the things of God. I'm too busy. Just think about that. What is so pressing in your life on any giving day that you are willing to forfeit the banqueting table of God in order to see to that instead of to see to what God has placed before you? Basically, God, I'm just too busy for you. Just too busy, God. And then the second excuse, I have married a wife, is this, and this is going to be tough. It's this excuse. My family just comes first. My family just comes first. Listen, according to Philippians 2, we learn that we are to count more people or count people more significant than ourselves. But we are never told in Scripture to count anyone as more significant than God. Never to count anyone as more significant than God. If our spouse, if our kids, if our parents consume our lives, they are robbing us of the one thing we need to love them better, which is God. The one thing that we need, the one thing I need most to love my family the best I can is God. For he pours his love into my heart, according to Romans 5, through the Holy Spirit. When when I am out of sorts with my family, it's a reminder to me and to them that I am out of fellowship with God. So think about this. Don't let the love you enjoy below be an excuse to neglect the love that comes from above. Let me me say it again. Don't let love that you enjoy below keep you and make an excuse for neglecting love that comes from above. But here's what I think. I think the real excuse is this. I just love my life. 
I just love my life more than I love God. I need my life the way it is or the way I want it to be more than I need him. And there is an enemy, brothers and sisters, whose lifelong goal is to keep us away from the table. He wants to keep us away from the table, distracting us with lesser, fading pleasures, busying us with anything and everything that will keep us from God. Again, the words of John Piper, he says, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, it's apple pie. It's not, it is the endless nibbling at the table of the world. And hear this, listen to what he says, The greatest adversary of love to God is not enemies, but the gifts that God gives his own. The greatest adversary of my love to God are gifts that God has given me where I put those gifts above him. Listen, in this picture of this worldly hunger, what we often do is we come to God, not on God's terms, we come to God on our terms. Like we set the terms and God's just going to sign off on them because we're the God in the relationship. And what we want is we want just enough God to appease us, but not enough God to change us. We want, a, we want a God who will put us in right standing and give us a get-out-of-hell-free card, but we want a God that also won't touch our lives and change anything about the way we're living. We don't want our lives to look radically different in any way whatsoever. So in saying that, we're okay with superficial change. Do a little cosmetic surgery on me, God. Change up these things, but don't take the knife and start cutting deep. Don't do that in my life. We are like Wilbur Reese who wrote these words. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but joy enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love someone of another race or to make me ever go to another nation. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but I don't want the new birth. I want a pound of eternal and a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Brothers and sisters, anytime we come to God on our terms, we won't leave with God. We will leave with a God of our making, a God of our choosing, but it won't be a God who can save us or change us or satisfy us. We must come to God, hear this, on his terms and his terms alone. So worldly hunger leaves us empty. Secondly, godly hunger leaves us full. Godly hunger leaves us full. I'm not getting into the practical parts today, and, I, and we know these, the practical parts of reading God's word, praying, coming together in a body like this, and other spiritual disciplines that we know. If We do that a lot around here. If you want to learn more about how to study God's word, please come see me. Come see Pastor Jordan. Come see others of us. I'll be glad to walk with you through that journey. I would love to walk with you that, through that journey, but here's the deal. Many of us, we say we're just too busy to sit at his table. And we, we mistakenly, what we do in today's culture, in the American church culture, is we mistakenly derive our spiritual joy from serving God and not knowing God. Meaning, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm serving God in all of these different ways. But tell me, what, tell me what God is showing you in your life. Well, I guess he's showing me I need to serve him more. And what that means is this, we are doing more and more for a God that we know less and less. I'll say it again, we're doing more and more and more and more and more and more service for a God that we know less and less and less 
of. Listen, many people come to church on Sunday, and they come Sunday after Sunday, and all they want to do is be pacified. They want enough of God to get them through until next Sunday. And let me just say this. As long as you're okay with pacifiers, you'll never long for the true food. Until we become like babies who spit out the pacifiers and say, give me the milk, give me that, we will never find true nourishment in God, a, a true nourishment in knowing God experientially. The real question for us is this, do we really hunger to know God? Because God fills those who hunger and thirst for him. Look at the screen, Psalm 107, you just heard it, but he, he, God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Is your soul hungry? Do you want more of God? Do you desire more of him in your life? This is the key to the satisfaction of our souls. This is the key to your soul, your heart, your life, your eternity, having him, being filled with good things. God satisfies the longing soul. I want to encourage you this morning to cultivate that kind of soul. Cultivate the soul that longs for him, a heart that's hungry for him. And let me say it again. When you are truly hungry for God, the only thing that will satisfy you is God. Let me say it again. When you're truly hungry for God, the only thing that will satisfy you is God. Not other people, not other stuff, not this or that. Only God will satisfy you. And then think about the words of Jesus given halfway through the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, 6, on the screen, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Can you say to Jesus, not only do I want you, but I need you. And not only do I need you, but I have to have you. I have to have you. Listen, when, when God satisfies our soul, we can't get enough of him. Now, in one sense, according to Jesus in John 6, we'll never hunger and thirst again. Meaning we'll never hunger and thirst for the things of this world again. But in another sense, we'll always hunger and thirst for more of him. And I'm not saying that like an addict who had the, the, the first initial high and is chasing that high and coming up to people going, hey, man, hey, hey. Not, not talking about that. What, this isn't about we, we had this initial experience and now we're just chasing it for the rest of our lives. No, we are climbers ascending a mountain to see more of its beauty. And the only way we will ever be propelled to the next range is through hunger and desire. Through hunger and desire to know more, to go further. Listen, there's a story that was told of a young man who one day after church approached the pastor. And he came up to the pastor and he said, Pastor, how can I know God more? The pastor thought for a minute and said to the young man, meet me this afternoon at the lake. So later that afternoon, that afternoon, the young man went to the lake and the pastor was already there, chest high in the water. And the pastor told the young man, come out to me. And when you get here, ask me the question again. So the young man waited out, got to the pastor and said, Pastor, how can I come to know God more? Well, the pastor maybe even violently grabbed the young man and just threw him under the water and held him underwater for about 15 seconds. Let him up, let him go. The man jumped up. The pastor said, what do you want? And the young man said, I want to know God more. 
So the pastor grabbed him again, threw him under the water, and held him down, this time for 30 seconds. Finally lets him up. The man jumps up. The young man jumps up, and the pastor says, what do you want? And the young man said, I want to know God more. Well, now the pastor just grabs him, grabs him more violently than before and holds him underwater. This time, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute. Finally, he lets go, and the man, young man just jumps out of the water, screeching and gasping for air. And the pastor said to the young man, what do you want? And the young man said, air. I want air. And the pastor said, good. For when you want God like you just desired your last breath, you'll know him. When you want God like you just desired that last breath, you will know him. If you're taking notes, write this down. When we want God like we want breath, when we don't have it, we will have him. When we want God like we want breath, when we don't have it. I don't know about you. It's been a long time since I had the breath knocked out of me. But I remember when that happens, my initial thought wasn't, man, this would be a good time for a milkshake. I mean, a burger sounds awesome now. No, the only thing in that moment is i got to have air. I, let me breathe. Give me air. And it's the desire for God, which is the most fundamental appetite of all. We need him. And listen, you might in this moment be filling yourself on every worldly thing the world is telling you that you have to have, that you need, that will fulfill you, that will complete you. And I'm here to say, based on the authority of God's word, it never will. It will only leave you empty and hungry for more things that can never satisfy you. It is God who fills us up and we hunger for him and he satisfies us alone. Think about this. We have turned the page now into a new year. As we turn and enter into this new year, here's a few questions. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Are you hungry for purpose? Are you hungry for fulfillment? Are you hungry for everything that everyone else is telling you will satisfy you? Maybe, maybe you had to admit, maybe you say, I'm hungry for revenge. So-and-so did something to me, and I can't wait to get even. Or maybe you feel like you've got the raw deal in life, and so you're chasing the things of this world to fill you up. You're trusting in those things to do what only God can do. Think about these questions. Do external things satisfy you? Do things determine how you feel? Meaning when you have more things, you feel a whole lot better than when you don't? Oh, to God, that God would allow us all by his grace to seek him hunger for him, to long for him. I'm going to put it, you've already heard it, but I'm going to put something else on the screen. I want to just close with this. I want you to see this, and I want you to think about this. It is not truly a lack of food that threatens any of us. It's a lack of hunger. Are you hungry for him? Do you hunger for him? My word this year is hungering that I want to hunger for God like never before. I want to hunger for him. I want to know him. And I want to get to the end of this year, and I want to look back, and I want to say, I know God more, and I'm experiencing more of him than I did at the beginning of this year. And I have seen the experiential picture of what it means to walk with God and to experience him and to be satisfied in him and him alone. Let me just say again, what your, your greatest threat, brothers and sisters, is not what you don't have. 
It's a lack of hunger for the thing that you need. And what we need most is him. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. We're going to call the praise team forward and enter this time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever God is telling you to do, by his grace and mercy and power and strength, may you do it. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, the first thing that's on my heart right now, God, is forgive us. Forgive us, God, for seeking things that can never satisfy us. Forgive us, Lord, for where we pursue those things that can never give us joy or peace or hope or help or salvation. Forgive us, God, for continually Lord, digging those cisterns for ourselves that can't hold water. And God, as you told the people in Jeremiah's day, for, for, forgive us, Lord, for forsaking you. Forgive us for making excuses as to why we don't come to the banqueting table that you've placed before us where we were able to know you and be known and find rest for our souls. God, I pray that you would expose the excuses, Lord, of busyness and that our families and other things come before everything else or that we just like our life or the life that we think we want better than we like you. God, I pray that you would expose today the God-given hunger that exists in every single one of our lives. And the only thing that can ever satisfy a God-given hunger is God, you, you. Fill us and leave us hungry for more of you, God. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.